Welcome to Rage Worth Watching, where we're working our way through the history of films that rage against the machine. Today, we're discussing the 1989 Spike Lee film, Do the Right Thing. I'm your host, and no joke, my mother used to work at Pizza Hut and bring home a free pizza every night. My co-host is Guy, who is just trying to run a respectable pizza joint here, you know? Hey! <laughs> Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. And our guest today is Aldo Billingsley, actor extraordinaire. Hey, everybody. Guy, that was a great Danny Aiello. That's good. <laughs> so, Aldo, I meant to mention earlier, what else should I be saying about I mean, you've done all sorts of stuff, and I don't want to short, you know, cut you. So what else should people know about your career? N not a lot. They can, they can Google Aldo Billingsley. S-L-E-A is the last four letters of my name so they can figure that out and and see that I've, I've done some acting i've done some uh, activism and i've done some teaching okay and you know we got to know each other at a theater company we just really connected and i've always enjoyed talking to you so i'm glad we're going to be able to do this today and we started this series about rage against the machine with the film network and i described that as the ragiest film of all time but you know do the right thing might actually be more ragey <laughs> so. well it, it's it's not just ragey it's it's got it's got rage with a point rage with a purpose and and it it grabs a great capsule of america even though even though it's it's 1989 is that yeah. right? Yeah. 1989, it's the first film where I ever heard the term gentrification. There's a white guy wearing a man bun in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it, it talks about the division uh, between races and the slurs that different races call each other and those sorts of things, which is a, an intense moment in the, in the movie. Mr. Lee was way ahead of his time, even if you didn't notice that it is a star-studded cast, and they oh, weren't yeah. all stars when they when they mm -hmm. shot this thing in '89. Well, so let me ask you what I ask everyone, and you've already answered part of it. You know, you had your choice of all the films that we're covering in this season. Why did you choose this one? Uh, for all those reasons, I th I think it's uh, it's prophetic and prescient, and it gives us a glimpse of what a powder keg can look like and what uh, struggle looks like. And that struggle, the struggle is real. And the mm -hmm. struggle is real for all sorts of people, all sorts of people. But uh, um, you see it, see it with women, you see it with immigrants, uh, even though it's a, it's a very male flick. Uh, mm -hmm. but, you, but you do get to see women trying to struggle. And, and you, you're talking about... Uh, uh, raging against the machine, and could we hear any more public enemy <laughs> fight, the, fight the power through the entire opening credits? We have the entire song of "Fight the Power" by Public Enemy, mm -hmm. and then it keeps coming back every time we see Bill Nunn playing Radio Raheem. Uh, matter of fact, Giancarlo Esposito's character asked him. Don't you have any other songs? And he's like, I like this one. He's like, I do too. But aren't there any other songs you can play? Right. Which I think is hysterical. Well, 
they had to take over this block, right? And they were annoying the hell out of everyone because, of course, if you're filming something and people need to get into their house or whatever, it's very annoying. And and some of what they did to alleviate that was they put on a concert uh, by those guys uh, so that everyone could participate and, and be happy with that. Huh. I didn't. I did not know that. That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah, it, there's a great, uh, I think it's 25th anniversary, uh, Blu-ray you can get that has some really good material on it, background material that shows a lot of that. Huh. Excellent. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I may own it, but I don't know that I've ever looked at anything but the movie. <laughs> so I have, to, right. I, I have to dig that out. So for some context, this is Spike Lee's third film. I always wonder... Like, I consider this to be a perfect film, and I have seen, I did not see the films he did before this, but I've seen several of the films he did after, and and some of them were very good, but I always wonder what it feels like, like, one of the first films you do is the film you're always going to be known for. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and nothing else is going to stand up to, I mean, how could you possibly do a film that's going to exceed this? Mm. It makes it really, really tough, uh, I think for an artist to be held to a standard of what they did early and um, sometimes somewhat disregarded for what they do after. Uh, she's got to have it. Uh, my mentor uh, in Texas, John White, said, was telling me about this this guy, Spike Lee, and it's really different. And, you know, I, <laughs> and, and I don't like all of it, but it's really compelling. You've got to see this thing. And I was like, okay. So I checked out, she's got to have it. And uh, he was right. Some of the angles, some of the some of the subject matters, some of the things uh, that he's uh, got going on for the script are really interesting. But it in and of itself would not make my my top one hundred. But then when he comes out with this, it's just really, really an amazing, amazing pick. It was one of uh, I was on a date, but I can't remember who it was I was with because uh, I remember the the movie more about those moments where I was laughing, I was cringing, and, and I was on the edge of my seat trying to figure out what was going to happen next. Mm. And, and I, was, I was nodding a whole lot about some of the race stuff. John Turturro's character, he is so good in mm -hmm. this. He is so good. But his character, who is constantly, I'm like, how many different names can he call black people in here? Uh, I think he's trying to teach me Italian slang. It was just so much. And uh, such contempt that's coming from the character that it, you know, it felt authentic. Uh, and then Spike Lee going to him and saying, okay, but who's your favorite basketball player? Who's your favorite actor? Who, you know, and over and over and over, you know, uh, and you got Michael Jackson. You got Michael Jordan, you got Prince, you got all those things that are coming at at him, and he's saying, but the, but they're different because I don't, they don't act like they they're different, you know. <laughs> so I, I I I appreciated that reality and that complexity, right? And, and you know what? I just realized I said the opening credits where he's got a young blistering Rosie Perez mm -hmm. uh, dancing her dancing her tail off at the at the beginning <laughs> with every dance that I think we ever did in the clubs back then. <laughs> but it's not the opening song. The opening song is the Negro National Anthem. 
and with a jazzy riff that goes into the public enemy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd forgotten that until I was looking at, uh, you know, the photo of, of Martin and Malcolm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what those two songs feel like to me. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. like Martin with the Negro National Anthem. And this is a, our, our peaceful, uh, honorable approach to equality. And then you've got public enemy uh, slinging what they're slinging and, uh, and coming out and, uh, and demanding aggressively uh, with the other. So I, I think seeing that Malcolm and Martin together uh, is really, really effective uh, when uh, the character is Smiley, but the, but the actor is Roger Guinevere Smith who I think I heard Spike say he didn't have a part for him in the thing. And Roger Guinevere Smith kept saying, I want to be in this. I want to be in this. And so RGS came up with his own character. (laughs) He came up with Smiley as a a different character in the neighborhood. And as pretty as Roger Guinevere Smith is, he let, you know, his his facial hair grow out and he looks, you know, (laughs) unkempt and then gives uh, the character all of these physical challenges, mental challenges, and part of the movie hinges on him. Mm-hmm. I, I, think that's, I think that's really remarkable. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rosie Perez, as I recall, did yes. not know that she was going to have to show up on her first day and dance for 10 hours in a row, mm-hmm. and she was very mad. <laughs> so she said that whole time when she was dancing, she's sitting there thinking very nasty things about Spike Lee in her head. <laughs> well, you can see some of them on her face when she's dancing. <laughs> she's just blistering. Uh, with <laughs> when she starts punching, uh, even before right. she gets the boxing gloves on. And I'm wondering if they actually brought the boxing gloves in later because uh, she's doing a couple of moves and her hands start going and then her hands start right. looking like fists and then they look like punches and then they're definitely punches. Mm-hmm. And then later you see her in a robe and boxing gloves. And I was, I mean, Spike is terrific at improv. And I and so there's a, a part of me that wonders how much of that was him saying, "Let's go with this, let's take that," as he's just coming right. up with this amazing gumbo. Right. So now Guy and I are gonna go to our local pizzeria and sit in a booth and watch the film together on an iPhone, <laughs> and we will be back to discuss it with you. So Guy and I are now going to walk through this movie. Uh, If you're very familiar with the movie or if you would just rather listen to our discussion with Aldo, which we understand, we have bookmarks in this episode so you can skip ahead. But we hope you might stick around and listen to us talk through the movie. And this is one of the most amazing movie openings ever, I think. Um, We start the credits with jazz music, uh, which was written by Spike Lee's father and performed by Bradford Marsalis. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And we go from some jazz to fight the power by public enemy. And they played the Mm. entire song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rosie Perez, who's being introduced here dances, you know, and, um, boy, she is energetic and puts it out there. And as we talked about with Aldo. 
she didn't realize she was going to be doing 10 hours of dancing this day, <laughs> but she yeah. delivered, you know? Oh, look. yeah. She's got some great moves. Really impressive. So after dancing and boxing and such, we start the actual movie with radio DJ Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> Mr. Senor Love Daddy. So he has this weird thing where through the whole movie, he's sitting in his radio booth watching things happening on the street, but having very little actual interaction with people. Yeah. He's got a big plate glass window and he sits at his microphone and he can just look right out onto the neighborhood. Yeah, and he's holding a ringing alarm clock and telling everyone to wake up. So apparently he works all day and he lets everyone know it's going to be a hot day over a hundred degrees. Now I used to live in a place where for a couple of weeks a year, it'd be 110 degrees. So I know what this is like. You can't sleep. You're, you know, sweating. No, like my whole family, we were very poor. We couldn't afford it. But my whole family would go to a hotel sometimes during that period because you just needed air conditioning and we didn't have air conditioning. Oh yeah. And then we see an old black guy waking up in bed to discover how hot it is. And it turns out this is the mayor. <laughs> so you're going to see the mayor throughout. It's probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah. He's pretty cool. Then we see a young white guy and he's holding pages of printed photos and he's stuttering and telling everyone on the street that his name is Smiley. And it's clear he's a bit touched in the head and he takes a marker and he marks one of the pages to indicate in the photo who is Malcolm X and who is Martin Luther King. So all these pages have these photos of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King meeting each other. I think if I, if I remember right, he takes his little, well, he has a great big marker and almost <laughs> looks like a bingo card blotter. Mm -hmm. He writes an X near Malcolm X and he puts a little crown over Martin Luther King. Uh, yeah. And he says they're both dead, but we still have to fight against hate. And as we talked about with Aldo, the actor who portrayed Smiley just wanted to be in the film and he created his own character. So, uh, and it's a really unique character, sort of unforgettable. Yeah. Guy, yeah. It ended up being a fairly pivotal character too. Yeah. And now we see Mookie <laughs> who's Spike Lee the protagonist of the film and he's on his bed counting money <laughs> and then he wakes up a woman who's very annoyed to be woke up and at first you would think it was his girlfriend or something it turns out it's actually his sister so he lives with his sister they sleep in the same bed because presumably they just don't have a very big place i i had the impression i could be wrong i had the impression that he had just come into her bedroom yeah that's possible toy was it so she's not happy about being woken up and she says Saturday is the only day she gets to sleep in <laughs> and she wants him to go to work, but he says he needs to get paid and him getting paid is a big theme of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. And then we see an old fashioned giant American car. I don't know the models. I'm not a car guy, but you know, it's one of those things you would see 30 or 40 years ago, one of those huge cars and it's pulling up to a pizza storefront. And it turns out the car contains Danny Aiello, who is Sal, and his two sons, one of whom is John Turturro, who is Pino. He was, uh, he was the Jesus from the Big Lebowski. Yep. <laughs> and Sal comments on how hot it is. And he says, their air conditioner guy is going to come because of how dangerous the neighborhood is. And then he tells Pino to get a broom and sweep out front. 
And now we see kind of the relationship between Pino and his brother Vito, because <laughs> Pino then tells his brother Vito, get a broom and sweep out front. And his, his brother's like, well, he told you to do it, you know. <laughs> and there's clearly a whole hierarchy here. And Pino says he hates working here. He detests it like a sickness. And Sal is offended. And and this is a really interesting thing, given where the movie goes, right? Because Pino is kind of the racist person in the family. And we'll see what happens with Sal. But he says, this is a respectable business, and there's nothing wrong with that. And he really pushes back on Pino. Hmm. Well, he's uh, he's providing work for his sons and, uh, you know, and a future for them if, if they choose to take it over. Right. And it's also later. I mean, he's been here like 30 years and he's really proud of what he's done for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. After some arguing, he says, I'm going to kill somebody today, which turns out to be prophetic. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. He doesn't actually kill anybody. I don't think. Well, indirectly, at least. <laughs> Depends on how you want to place blame. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have a uh, a trial to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> now we see Mookie coming out of his apartment, and he both greets and rejects various people as he walks down the street. So there's a couple people, like, with flyers. You know, they're probably, like, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or something. He's just like, screw you. <laughs> Talk to you. <laughs> but other people he greets enthusiastically. And he encounters mother sisters. So there's a middle-aged woman sitting in the window and she warns him about the heat. And, you know, she says, mother sister always watches. So <laughs> she's going to become important in the story. There's a, uh, there's a cult in the Grand Theft Auto games called the Epsilon Project. And they, uh, they, they address each other as things like uncle brother and <laughs> things like that. I couldn't help thinking of that. Yeah, I'm glad we got in our, our video game reference. <laughs> well, there will probably be more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how many <laughs> So Mookie gets to the pizza place where he is a delivery guy, and Pino tells him he's late again. And then Pino tells him to sweep the front. So apparently <laughs> neither he or his brother actually swept the front. As Sal asked, and Mookie's like, look, I'm a delivery guy. And my bet that your dad told you to sweep the front. <laughs> so he understands all this. We find out over the course of the movie, it seems like he's been working there for a good while. Yeah. And he says, I deliver pizzas. That's what I get paid for. <laughs> and now the mayor comes in and Sal welcomes him and is very kindly towards him. And the mayor asks if. Any work needs to be done because he's looking for a little bit of cash. And Pino is not happy about this, but Sal overrides him and, you know, gives the mayor some money to sweep out the sidewalk. And Pino's like, you giving this guy welfare or something, you know? But Sal's like, hey, he's this guy in the neighborhood. I'm taking care of him, right? Yeah. And uh, then we're, we see a group of people kind of the Martin Lawrence group, right? So Martin Lawrence, very young, is one of them. Yeah. And Ruby Dee is this really beautiful young black woman. And they seem to be kind of aimless drifters who walk around the neighborhood and, you know, bother people or comment on things. <laughs> and then we hear a very loud radio playing Fight the Power, the song I heard earlier. And 
this is Radio Raheem. So it has this huge radio, like about three feet long, I think. Yeah, it is a, a classic boombox. <laughs> yeah. And Martin Lawrence says to him, it's your world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Martin and his crew seem to be fairly impressed with him. They seem yeah. to have some regard for him. Well, the thing with Radio Raheem, every time we see him, and he's going to be a very key person in the story, is he, he doesn't really talk much. But he has his boombox and he has his music and he goes around and does whatever he wants and nobody screws with him because mm. he's also a very big guy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now we see, uh, DeMayer and he's in the local Korean grocery and he's looking for a Miller high life, which the owner slash clerk of the grocery says that they're out of. And <laughs> DeMayer's not happy about this. Are you asking a. You're asking a lot for a man to change his beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, he, we see DeMayer on the street drinking his less than ideal beer when mother sister challenges him for messing up the neighborhood, you know, for walking around drunk all the time. <laughs> As we'll see, he and mother sister sort of have this really contentious relationship. Maybe something will happen with that. Yeah. And then we see what I call the Greek horse. And this is three guys sort of on the corner. And it, the way they chose to do this is interesting because the building behind them is painted red. So it's very kind of primary colors. Mm -hmm. And these guys just hang out in their chairs with an umbrella and comment on everything <laughs> that's happening. And of course they can, and, and they're complaining about Mike Tyson and how he mugged a woman on a nearby street. And I have no idea what that's about. I, I did not look it up. So I don't know if Mike Tyson was ever accused of actually mugging a woman. <laughs> and one of them says, well, are you going to say that to his face? <laughs> And one of them is kind of the more philosophical of them. And he says, the way I see it, if this heat continues, it's going to melt the polar caps and the whole wide world. So get a little bit of a uh, global warming in here. Yeah. And I, I could be wrong, but I seem to remember that back when this movie came out, even then there was talk going around about global warming. I mean, mm -hmm. the terminology was a little different back then. <laughs> Still the same uh, proposition. And back at Sal's Pizzeria, he is serving Buggin' Out, who is Giancarlo Esposito, is this amazing actor we talk a lot about with Aldo. Yeah, and this, it's funny because in the opening credits, I, th I think it was during, you know, while Rosie Perez was dancing, his name popped up and I was, I was happy to see that. I was like, cool. And I didn't realize who he was until I saw the credits at the end of the movie, <laughs> just because he's like 30 years younger in this yeah. movie than yeah. I'm familiar with. He has ordered a slice at Sal's, but he's not happy about the lack of cheese. And Sal's tells him extra cheese is $2. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of paying the $2, he grabs the Parmesan cheese bottle and just starts you know, dumping it onto his pizza. And then Sal grabs that and moves it away and Buggin calls him cheap. I had a little mental confusion here because it, I thought he was saying it's $2 additional for the extra cheese, which would be more than the cost of the slice itself. But I think he was saying 
it's like 50 cents extra mm-hmm. for extra cheese. So $2 is the total. Right? Well, good point. I also took it as an extra $2. So, so then Buggins sits down <laughs> and now, and this is, you know, this kicks off everything the movie is about, right? He looks up at the wall and there are all these photographs on the wall and it's all these Italian actors and such, you know, uh, Al Pacino, mm-hmm. et cetera. Buggins like, well, he actually, he challenges Mookie who's sitting there and he says, why are there no brothers up on this wall? And Mookie tells him to ask Sal and Sal says, you want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. This is my pizzeria. (laughs) He says pizzeria, not pizzeria. Oh yeah. American Italians on the wall only. And Baggin points out that American Italians don't eat here. It's all black folks. So, you know, they should have some say about what pictures are on the wall. And Sal calls him a troublemaker and he grabs a bat and heads toward him. And this is something, again, we talked with Aldo a lot about a really interesting moment because Pino, who is the really racist guy in the family, he grabs the bat and takes it away from Sal to keep him from hurting someone. Mm. even though, you know, normally it would be him <laughs> who'd be wanting to, <laughs> to use the bat. So then Mookie convinces Buggin to leave and Buggin tells everyone they need to boycott Sal's. And so this is, you know, again, the, the beginning of everything that happens in the movie and Mookie reads in the riot act for messing up his job. You know, he just wants to deliver pizza and he doesn't want to have a big house up. And now we have a really interesting moment. So Mookie takes a pizza for delivery and he's walking along and DeMayer is sitting on some steps and DeMayer stops him and says, always do the right thing. <laughs> and Mookie just looks at him. He's like, that's it. I've got it. I'm gone. <laughs> it goes on. <laughs> that's the, that's the title of the film. Yep. <laughs> and Mookie doesn't seem very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Then we see mother's sister and she's having her hair brushed by Mookie's sister and DeMayer stops by and compliments her looks. And she, pres- she pretends not to be persuaded and tells Mookie's sister that he reminds her of her least favorite tenant and her ex-husband. <laughs> we'll see how this relationship develops. So then we see Rosie, whose character is Tina, cooling off by immersing her face in ice-filled water and spending time in the shower. And then someone uses a wrench to open the fire hydrant to release water for everyone. And they take a can and open up both sides so they can put the can over the water and direct where it goes, which will be important in a moment. And an Italian guy, very Sopranos-like. Actually, I think this was a Sopranos I, actor. I thought the same thing. I thought I recognized him from the Sopranos. And he drives by in a fancy car, and, you know, they've got this water spewing out, and he tells them not to get his car wet before he drives along. And the guys who are taking care of the hydrant say, oh, don't worry, we won't get your car wet. And then as he drives along, of course, they use their can to direct the water into his car. And totally drench it. Yeah, and it's a convertible, too. Yeah, and he's very upset because his car has been ruined. And two cops come by in the car, and the Italian guy wants them to arrest the kids who did this. But they're long gone. And then the demayor comes along, and the cops are questioning him about who did this. And he says, well, those 
that'll tell don't know, and those that know won't tell. <laughs> so, so not, you know, having any idea who did it, the cops dismiss the Italian guy and give him some bad attitude, and he's not happy about that. Yeah, well, he, he, uh, he's the instigator with the bad attitude. He, uh, <laughs> he doesn't let up the whole time. Yeah. And now we see Radio Rahim, and he encounters some people, and he has a face-off with how loud his music is versus theirs, because they have a radio going, and he has a radio going. And they complain, and then he turns up his radio. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, his, his box has way more juice than theirs, so they have to give up the contest. But it's clear that music is important to Radio Rahim. Yeah, or at least, uh, at least one song. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Buggin and he's on the sidewalk and this white guy walks by and manages to sort of with a bicycle and manages to step on his shoes. So as he's perfectly quaffed tennis shoes and now they're scuffed, <laughs> there's some marks. On yeah. Them. Yeah. And there's just a big black streak on the, on the. <laughs> unblemished white of the shoes yeah this is unacceptable of course and so he runs over to the guy and says you stepped on my brand new jordan that i just bought you know who told you to step on my sneakers who told you to walk on my side of the block who told you to be in my neighborhood <laughs> and i just i love how he talks is he's just very intense and the white guy says look i own this brownstone here <laughs> And Buggin says, who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood? <laughs> Why did you want to live in a black neighborhood anyway? Motherfucker gentrification, you know. As the white guy goes into his apartment, Buggin says, you're lucky I'm a righteous black man or you'd be in serious trouble. <laughs> Why don't you go back to Massachusetts? And the guy says, I was born in Brooklyn. And then the funny thing is that Buggin and all the guys who are around him all are like, oh, God. You know, so <laughs> And now we see those two cops, you know, these are the only cops in this neighborhood. These two cops drive their car in slow motion past the three guys on the corner of the grid course. And one of the cops mouths, you know, we see him saying, what a waste, you know, so these old guys sitting on the corner. And then we get that, again, that philosopher of the Greek course, and he's looking across the street and he says, it's a goddamn shame. You look at these Korean MFers across the street. I bet they haven't been off the boat a year before they open up their own place. They've already got a business in our neighborhood, occupying a business that had been boarded up for longer than I can remember. Either those Korean MFers are geniuses or you black asses are just dumb. <laughs> and it's really interesting because he's, you know, and actually my father did this, you know, he would complain similarly. It's like, well, hear these people taking advantage of things. But as he says, like this place had been boarded up forever and they created an actual business that people want to use. So, you know, are they not supposed to <laughs> turn a boarded up place into a useful business? You know, mm -hmm. back at the pizzeria, Pino is saying some racist stuff and Mookie calls him on it. <laughs> and so they have a conversation and Mookie says, look, who's your favorite basketball player? And of course it's Magic Johnson. You know, who's your favorite movie star? It's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and then Pino says, well, they're not black. They're not really black. It's different. <laughs> it's, 
And then we get this weird montage where the camera kind of zooms up on these characters, uh, various different characters in the movie, as they're saying a whole string of very racist things. <laughs> and at the end of this, you know, Levin, the radio DJ, tells everyone they need to cool down. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Senor Love Daddy. <laughs> and... Then we see Mookie asking Sal and the pizzeria to pay him now. You know, him getting paid is a big theme here. And Sal says he'll pay him tonight when they close. He, he can't pay him before that because otherwise he won't stick around until they close. And so Mookie's out delivering a pizza and he encounters Radio Rahim. And we get another really interesting little sequence here. This Radio Rahim tells him the story of love and hate. So he has these big rings on both of his fists. They're brass knuckles, basically. Yeah, and they spell out love and hate. And as we mentioned in our conversation with Aldo, this comes directly from the movie Night of the Hunter, where it's tattooed on the guy's hands, and he goes through this sequence. So Radio Rahim talks to him about, you know, he does, he goes through this whole sequence of love and hate fighting each other and then you know kind of coming to a conclusion he ends up con concluding by saying that he loves uh Mookie. <laughs> so that's reassuring because he didn't know where he was going with that exactly right and then another key point in the movie radio Rahim goes into the pizzeria or pizzeria with his radio blaring and sal tells him to turn it down and he's very unhappy about that and then, of course, he also wants extra cheese, and Sal tells him the extra cheese is $2. So I still feel like he's charging an extra $2, but it could, it's true, it could be either way, but but it feels to me like he's saying an extra $2. Well, that was the way I thought until until today, I, I thought of the other interpretation, because it doesn't make sense. I mean, you could pay, if it, if it was $2, I mean, the slices are $1.50, if I remember right. Yeah. So, so if you had to pay $2 extra for extra cheese, you'd be better off buying a second slice and taking <laughs> the cheese off it and putting it on the other right. one. Well, I see it either way. You're probably right, but I've always interpreted, I mean, part of it is I've interpreted it as that it was so outrageous for him to say it's $2, right? Yeah. Um, so either way, whether it's an extra 50 cents or it's an extra $2, people are very offended. <laughs> and now we see Mookie uh, finishing delivering a pizza and then he goes home to take a shower and he has an argument with his sister she wants him to take care of his responsibilities <laughs> and uh, and on the radio in the background Mr. Love Daddy lists a huge number of black artists including people like Tracy Chapman who I'm a big fan of etc. We just, it's clearly kind of a black pride thing where are just listing all these Usually musicians who are very influential. Yeah, it's a, it's quite a quite a list. And back at the pizzeria, Sal and Pino are having a conversation. And Pino thinks they should sell this place and open up a pizzeria in their own neighborhood. And Sal says there are too many pizzerias there already. And Pino says, I'm sick of, and I'll just say black people. <laughs> he, he said something different, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> And Pino says, we should stay in our own neighborhood and the uh, black people <laughs> should stay in theirs. Yeah. 
again, we get back to Sal's kind of, you know, his nature. He says, I've never had no trouble with these people. They grew up on my food and I'm very proud of that. And then Smiley shows up outside the window and he's pointing to these pictures. You know, he has a Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Sapino goes out and gets in a fight with him. Yeah, that's, um, we mentioned the pictures before. I don't know if we mentioned that that's, uh, how he gets a little money is he, he tries to sell these pictures to people, uh, for a buck or two, something like that. Yeah. And that is halfway through the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so Mookie's in the shower and he wraps it up and he calls, let's go to his, uh, to his sister, Jade bugging out. Meanwhile, asks the mayor, the mayor to participate <laughs> in the boycott of Sal's. And the mayor doesn't want anything to do with it. He says it's damn black foolishness. <laughs> so bugging out moves on to the, uh, to the three guys under the patio umbrella and they brush him off before he even has a chance to ask. He just walks up and they start bragging on him. And the, the leader of the three guys, sweet Dick Willie, he tells bugging out that he should boycott his barber. <laughs> uh, the other guys get some good laughs out of that. So then Buggin' Out goes and asks the Martin Lawrence gang. They send him away because they love Sal's. They, yeah. they go there all the time. So Buggin' Out next goes to Sal's. And uh, Sal has a pickup window in the in the left front of the store, you know, carry out, whatever you want to call it. And Buggin' Out tells Sal that he's going to boycott the place. Sal says he doesn't have the balls. Mm-hmm. And he's a little steamed about it. He's making some... Uh, very, uh, stereotypically Italian hand gestures, uh, and so forth. And Pino walks outside looking angry, like he's ready to get into it. Bugging out walks away. Sal tells Pino to get back inside. <laughs> so bugging out next, we see him, uh, trying to clean those scuff marks off. <laughs> uh, I think he's using the toothbrush and Moki and his sister Jade approach. And of course, bugging out tries to get them interested in the boycott. They're not, they're not interested either. Mookie moves on to, on his way back to cells, but Jade hangs back just a moment to talk more with bugging out. And, uh, he says, she's not down with his plan. And she says, I'm down, but I'm down for something positive in the community. They talk a little bit more and they part uh, amicably, you know, uh, Bugging out seems to sympathize somewhat with where she's coming from. Then we see that Mookie made it to Sal's and, uh, Sal tells him not to jerk him around because Mookie's been away for a while, taking a shower and so forth. Yeah. He clearly has a habit of, you know, taking a long time on a delivery and maybe going home and taking a shower or going to his girlfriend or, you know, whatever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh. It seems like mostly a low stress job or a low stress approach to the job. <laughs> so Jade enters the restaurant and Sal is real happy to see her. He says he, uh, he's not just going to give her a regular piece of pizza. He's going to make her something special. I don't think we find out exactly what it is. I don't know. We see him putting something on it, but it's hard to tell maybe salami right. or I don't know. 
But it's clear he's very attracted to her. <laughs> yeah, he's fond of her at least. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, it could be it could be in a less innocent way. It could just be a, a, a good natured fascination with her. Who knows? But uh, but he knows uh, he knows a regular drink, uh, which is root beer. But uh, today she wants cream soda. But uh, <laughs> but he uh, he knows what she usually gets. I guess uh, owning a pizza place, that's not so unusual that you might know a regular customer's order, but, uh, but still, you know, he, he has a special place for her in, uh, in his mind. We, we can tell that we see Raheem walking down the street and his tape player starts running out of juice. You know, we hear the sounds of the tape <laughs> wavering and slowed down coming back in the next scene. We see him in the Korean market. And he's trying to get 20 D cell batteries, <laughs> but the Koreans don't speak great English. That just tells you how massive his radio is. <laughs> it's powered by <laughs> 20 D cell batteries. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Although he could be, uh, he could be trying to prepare for the next two, uh, changes. <laughs> either way, he uses a lot of juice <laughs> and they first, first, they think he wants C cells. Then they, he can't make out what they're telling him is the expiration date on the batteries. Uh, and he's cussing at them, calling them MFers, and he wants them to recount the batteries after they put them in the bag. <laughs> he's just, uh, he's just being, uh, needlessly hostile. I mean, this would be a fairly straightforward transaction in most cases. <laughs> now, the, the, granted, it doesn't hurt. Koreans, uh, don't speak very good English, but yeah. it doesn't help. But, but anyway, it, it, it seems to me throughout the movie, there's a lot of cases where, I mean, I mean, almost, almost every other minute there's cases where people just needlessly make things harder on themselves and mm -hmm. everybody else. That's, it's not one particular person or one particular race. I mean, it's almost everybody who's doing it. Very few exceptions. So anyway, then the mayor stops by the Korean market and on the outside of the, and the storefront, they've got a small little floral display and he decides to splurge on a whole bouquet of red roses. Mm -hmm. Uh, he takes it up to mother sister who's sitting in her window as she does a lot. If you've seen the producers, she's kind of in the same position where the the concierge lady was, uh, you know, on the ground floor window looking out. Mother's sister doesn't reach for the flowers when he offers them. So he just sets them on the sill next to her. He makes small talk for just a very short time. Then he takes off and mother sister, she looks skeptically down at the flowers sitting on the window sill next to her. Then she looks away, but then she looks back at the flowers and stares at him again. So something's going through her head. <laughs> then we see Raheem walks by sweet Dick Willie's crew, uh, with his music blaring again. And they complain about the volume. Apparently the D D cell batteries are working just fine. After he moves on sweet Dick Willie gets up to pee against the wall of the building. And there's a comedy interlude here for a minute or maybe a little more where the guys are just insulting each other. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun, but I don't know that it builds up the main plot. So I didn't go into detail. <laughs> notes. 
And then we see uh, a character we haven't seen yet, I don't believe. He's a guy who looks kind of like Father Guido Sarducci, and he's pushing a Paraguas cart, which is snow cones, essentially. Hey. They're snow cones that he's hand-shaved off a big block of ice. You know, when they're ordered, he does the shaving right then, so they're fresh off the ice. Mm. Um, and the kids are lined up for it. But then we see an ice cream truck approaching with its chimes going, and all the kids immediately abandon the snow cone cart. They run run into the street to go down and meet up with the ice cream truck. Well, just then a car comes tearing around the corner, and one of the kids running for the ice cream truck is right in the car's path, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Then the mayor leaps and knocks the kid out of the path of the car. Yeah. And they they land uh, near the curb between two parked cars. The kid's mom comes out, and she's upset. After a little while, she understands what happened, and she thanks the mayor. But he says something about, uh, you know, maybe don't be so hard on the kid, words to that effect. And she says she's grateful, but she doesn't want his advice <laughs> of child rearing. Even here, there's just sort of needless tension built up. That's a constant recurring event throughout the movie. Hey. So then we see Sal and Jade, Mookie's sister. Uh, they're both sitting together at a booth at the restaurant uh, across the table from one another. Sal's complimenting her. He says something like, uh, she has the biggest eyes he's ever seen. <laughs> and she does have pretty eyes, so it's a, it's a fair cop. Mookie comes up to the booth and he says he has to talk to her and he grabs her wrist and practically drags her out of the restaurant, around to the sidewall of the restaurant. He says he doesn't want her coming to Sal's anymore. Further, he says he thinks that Sal just wants to hide the salami, <laughs> which is entirely possible. Well, the way he's been looking at her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he definitely likes her. The, the complete extent isn't clear, but he likes her. But Jay doesn't like Mookie's suggestion. You know, I mean, she, she likes Sal. She likes the pizza place. So as they, uh, as they go off, they move away from the wall to reveal there's graffiti behind them that says, Tawana told the truth, which is a reference to uh, Tawana Brawley. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, tried, I tried doing a little bit of reading up on this. It seems to be generally believed that uh, Tawana didn't tell the truth. But uh, at the time the movie was made, I don't know that that was entirely clear. Well, this is something with Spike, which is, so I uh, was very familiar with that story back from the time I, when it was happening. And, and, you know, the story is about a young girl who stayed out and probably with a boyfriend or something had strict parents. And so because she was coming home late, she came up with a story about how she was raped and it was completely disproved. I mean, it's absolutely, there, there's no possible way to think that she was telling the truth. As you say, I mean, this was closer to the time and I, I don't know if all the facts had come out at the time, but on the other hand, Spike Lee, for being a great director who directed this film, which is really great. He is also a conspiracy theorist, right? I mean, he believed that the government had set up New Orleans to be flooded, you know, when it, when it got mm, Hurricane Katrina. 
Yeah. And, and I just, I mean, that's all silliness. So, um, <laughs> just my opinion, anyone else can disagree, but so, uh, but nonetheless, you know, as part of a thing about black people have been screwed, you know, it's understandable. No, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, and, and for the impression I got from what I was reading, uh, was that at the time the movie was made there, there might well have been, uh, some doubt. Uh, right. I, I might be wrong, but I'm going to guess if you asked him now, he'd still say that she was telling the truth, but, hmm. uh, but again, that might Could be unfair be. of me. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Who knows? Well, maybe we'll have him on the show sometime. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mookie goes back into the restaurant and he tells Sal to leave Jade alone. And Sal isn't happy at the implication. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say outright what he thinks Mookie's implying, but, uh, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea mm -hmm. and he, he isn't happy about it, whether or not it's true. So he gives Mookie a pizza to deliver, to deliver and Mookie thinks that the address might be wrong. He's delivered a lot of pizzas, so he probably has a good instinct about this thing in general yeah. when an address is wrong. But Sal insists it's the right address. And then we see a scene where the sky is uh, not pitch black, but it's, uh, it's definitely kind of a dark blue. You know, it's getting dark. The mayor walks by mother's sister. And as he does, she compliments him on, on rescuing the kid from the car. And she's still standoffish, but she's more polite than she has been to the mayor throughout the movie so far. They have a brief little talk. He tells him a story about a, a ball game he played back in the 1930s. And uh, it's, a, it's just a cute little, sweet little scene. And when he leaves, mother's sister smiles briefly. And then she makes a, a little expression, like kind of scoffing at herself right. for even, for even thinking fondly of this guy. I think the background here is after he saved that girl, right. From getting hit by the car. That's kind of what changed her mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It at least, uh, it at least inspired her to give credit where credit was due. <laughs> so Mookie's standing with his pizza at an apartment door. The door opens. And it's Tina. She was the one who ordered the pizza. And that's why, <laughs> that's why he wondered whether that was really the right address. <laughs> so he gets inside. He says he won't be staying long, but he also wants to get romantic, uh, <laughs> intimate with, uh, with Tina. And she says, no, he's not going to do that. And then just go off and deliver more pizzas. <laughs> so he has another idea. First, he gets her to strip. And she's lying in the bed and he leaves the room and then he goes to the kitchen and in the kitchen, his son's grandma or yeah, that'd be grandmother. His son's <laughs> grandmother is in there caring for his son, Hector, and she doesn't have high regard for Mookie. She, uh, she gives him a couple insults and he tells her to speak English because she speaks <laughs> Spanish. So again, just people being unpleasant to each other. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's, it's almost constant in this movie. Like, you wonder <laughs> why these people haven't killed them each other a hundred times over. But, yep. Good boy. But it's a real hot day today. So that has something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Mookie gets a couple ice cube trays from the freezer 
Then we have a brief cutaway to uh, Mr. Senor Love Daddy, who is putting on some slow music for the lovers out there. <laughs> and Moki starts rubbing Tina with ice. Yeah. Rubs her forehead, her lips, and, and he starts saying, thank God for the lips. Thank God for the neck. <laughs> it's kneecaps, elbows, thighs. And then the individual nipples, you know, thank God for the left nipple. <laughs> so <laughs> And it's interesting how this is filmed. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit uh, with Aldo about, uh, about what was going on while we had this close-up on the nipples. Um, but it's really... For a romantic scene, it's filmed kind of erotically because, you know, the rubbing the ice cube is an erotic act, but, but it's not, it's not filmed to be especially titillating hmm. that, that that's an unfortunate choice of words. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm trying to say? It's uh it's not, it's not uh terribly voyeuristic. It's more like trying to show this connection between them. So after the ice is done, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't go on to get intimate. Uh, he leaves to do more work, but he promises to come back later that night. We see that there are a couple policemen getting food in cells and they ask him how long he plans to stay in the neighborhood. Now these are the two police guys, you know, the, that represent the police in this whole film, right? Yeah. They were the guys who drove by the Greek chorus before and said, what? Yeah. And dealt with the guy who got his car wet and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sal jokingly says, uh, he'll, he expects to stay about 50 years. Uh, he says he's going to build a high rise. So the police, uh, call him Mr. Trump and (laughs) then they leave. I believe the art of the deal had come out in 1987, which was, uh, uh, Donald Trump's probably most Mm -hmm. well-known book. So he was, uh, (laughs) even, even back when this movie was made, he was still a, uh, kind of a cultural phenomenon. Yep. So, So after they leave, Mookie comes in and, uh, he complains about how the deliveries he makes take time and they have to take time because if he gets careless, the cheese will slide around and you know, <laughs> he don't want that. So Sal gives him a hard time. He's saying that Mookie must've brought this up out of a guilty conscience because Sal didn't ask him about it. But this time it turns out that he's just busting his chops. Sal's just giving him a hard time. It's not actually. Um, so Pino calls Vito into the storeroom and he puts him in a headlock, uh, briefly. And then they have a little conversation. He, uh, Pino insists that there be no mixing of black and white. And he says specifically, Mookie is not to be trusted. And Vito doesn't like to hear that at all. And, uh, Vito says, Mookie, he listens to me. You don't, man. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't totally, we haven't discussed this so far really, but Vito spends time with Buki and likes him. And so the clue, he has a very different outlook than Pino does. You know? Oh yeah. They do a little arguing. And when I first watched the scene, I wondered if this was where Vito was going to take Mookie's advice and, uh, you know, give him, give his brother a punch just to show him that he wasn't going to take it anymore. <laughs> but, but that's not what happens. They just have their conversation. They, they leave the, leave the storeroom. So then we see Raheem and Buggin' Out uh, leaning against the wall together. 
Looking out says that Raheem never plays anything else but this one public enemy song, Fight the Power. Raheem says he doesn't like anything else. <laughs> so, very narrow musical taste so far. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, in a different reality, he would find some other song he liked eventually, but that's mm -hmm. not going to happen in this one. Bugging Out is finally found in Raheem. He's finally found a supporter for his boycott. And then Smiley comes along. He's the fellow who passes or you know, who, who sells the pictures of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And he seems to be enthusiastic about the boycott too. And, and that's probably at least partly because of the, uh, the confrontation he had with Pino a little earlier, but this music keeps playing. And there's a guy in one of the apartments along the street who's trying to get some sleep and he yells out his window and Raheem and bugging out and smiley, all three of them, they yell back at him and they threaten to fuck him up. <laughs> so, uh, the guy isn't going to get as much sleep as he wanted tonight. It looks like back at Sal's they're winding up for the day. Sal says it was a great day of business. And he tells his kids that he's renaming the pizzeria to Sal and sons. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a nice fatherly moment there. And Mookie's there too. And he tells Mookie, there'll always be a place for him there. And Mookie doesn't seem too terribly touched. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't, I don't think he wants to be here <laughs> for always. The shop is closed down now, but the Martin Lawrence gang appears and the four of them want pizza. So Sal <laughs> opens up just for them. As long as they make it quick, you know, they can get their pizza and go. So they order four slices of regular to go. I, they never make it clear what regular is. I'm guessing mm. this is pepper, pepperoni pizza probably. <laughs> but suddenly there's a blast of music in there. It's uh, Fight the Power. And Raheem, Bugging Out, and Smiley have entered the building. Hey. The music keeps playing. Sal and Bugging Out start yelling at each other. The music keeps going. Sal and his new visitors start yelling at each other, and and then Mookie starts yelling because he still hasn't been paid. He's <laughs> He's been waiting for it, asking for it all day. The four customers take Sal's side. They yell encouragement. I think they yell something to Pino for him to get in there and bust some heads, something to that effect. Raheem turns up the radio more in response. Sal keeps getting more and more angry. And the music's loud and everybody's yelling at each other. And finally, Sal just loses it and he hauls out the end bomb. And on hearing that, the four customers seem disappointed. We don't see much of their reaction, but, uh, you know, here they were cheering Sal on and now he's, uh, you know, disparaging the race and all that. Yeah. I mean, up to this point, he's always been the sympathetic person. And then this comes out under stress, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you would assume that this is not an everyday occurrence for him because he wouldn't be running the pizza place here probably if it was, but still it's kind of a surprise when it comes out and, uh, everyone keeps yelling. And finally Sal takes his bat and he bashes Raheem's radio, uh, just bashes the crap out of it <laughs> and the music stops. And there's silence at last. And for 
a few seconds, probably 10 seconds or so, uh, it's just quiet. And then Sal says, I just killed your fucking radio. And <laughs> when he says that, Raheem lunges for him and he drags Sal over the counter. We see other people in there are attacking Pino or Vito. It was hard for me to tell because at this point, I think both of them are wearing dark shirts. Hmm. Um, maybe they're both getting attacked. I don't know, but, uh, it's just a big old free for all. And the crowd starts gathering outside the windows, looking into the pizza place and Raheem drags Sal outside. So when they're outside, the mayor tries to break it up, but nobody's listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, and soon enough, two police cars arrive. It must be real quick because, uh, Raheem, uh, had Sal down on the ground for however long it took for the police to get there. But Bugging Out gets handcuffed, and Raheem is being choked with a police baton. One officer is trying to tell the other, that's enough. He repeats himself, that's enough, a few times. And the camera moves down to show us that Raheem's feet are a couple inches off the ground, so he's actually being lifted by the uh, police baton. Finally, the officer lets Raheem drop to the ground, and he just lies there, not responding to anybody, not moving. And they put Bogan out in one car, and they put Raheem in the back of another car. Um, we see a short glimpse of him as he's lying still in the back seat of the police car, and his eyes are open, which is probably a good indication that he didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cars drive off. And Smiley watches them go, standing alone in the middle of the street. The, the crowd is back by the pizza place behind him. He, he cries and he yells as they drive off. So then back at the uh, pizza parlor, their uh, neighborhood folks are standing around. They're talking about Raheem's death, how that shouldn't have happened. He didn't deserve that. And criticizing Sal for, they presume he was the one who, called the police. Now he couldn't have actually called the police cause he was art the whole time, but, but it was probably one of his sons who called the police mm -hmm. and, uh, silence, his sons stand outside the front of the restaurant and the crowd's watching them. Mookie's next to them for a moment, but then he walks away across the street. Sal finally says to the crowd by way of self-justification, he says, you do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that wasn't the best choice of words because the crowd gets riled up in the, the mayor intervenes and he's, he's trying to make reasonable arguments to everybody and the crowd keeps yelling, but it doesn't move any closer. But across the street, Mookie makes a decision. He takes the lid off an old style metal garbage can. He carries the can over to the restaurant and he hurls it through one of the big plate glass windows, shatters the window. I read a couple critical analyses of this movie just to see what I had missed. And, uh, this is one thing that's kind of a speculation is that by doing this, he may have been trying to take the heat off Sal and his sons mm -hmm. uh, so the crowd didn't, didn't actually go after them. But it could also have been that he was just fed up with everything and just decided to throw a can through the window. Yeah, I tend to go toward the ladder, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, the shattering window triggers a riot. 
the crowd rushes into the restaurant and they begin destroying everything in sight. The, you know, the big, the big square drink dispensers with lemonade or tropical punch or whatever, you know, the things that constantly have the flowing circulating <laughs> drinks in them. Uh, you know, they splash those all over the place. Uh, they're tearing things apart and smashing stuff. The mayor guides his Sal and his sons to safety across the street. And they stand there and watch. There's not really a, it's probably the most sensible thing they could do short of actually getting out of town, <laughs> just not, not getting in the way. And Smiley inside the restaurant, he lights a match and there's apparently something real flammable in there because he sets the place on fire and it takes instantly. Uh, <laughs> It is almost like there was, you know, gasoline or something in there. Mm. Uh, it's not, it's not clear why it started so fast, but it, but it did. And, uh, we see a shot of flames rising around the wall of fame. And all those Italian celebrities are going to get singed a little bit. So now that the building's burning, the crowd decides to head over to the Korean market. They get over there and the owner starts protesting that he's black. And, uh, one of the, one of the men, uh, from the Greek chorus, uh, isn't buying that, but, uh, eventually they, they figure, yeah, we'll leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. He's also like waving the broom in front of him and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Korean market, uh, got a, got a reprieve there. And then we see a long line before it was only two police cars. Now we've got a line of police cars and a paddy wagon and at least two fire trucks all arriving. And the crowd starts chanting. And I think it's the name of somebody who was a victim of police brutality. Well, they're chanting about Howard beach, which was a location Little. where, uh, one of those things happened. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and some of them, or maybe all of them are saying coward beach, but that was just a Sand in for that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, there's one policeman with a megaphone who's trying to disperse the crowd, you know, tell them to go home and so forth, but nobody, nobody's listening to him at all. And a few people from the crowd start interfering with the firemen while they're trying to put out the fire. And so the crowd ends up getting the fire hoses, which, uh, of course is evocative of the South, you know, yeah. back in the days of segregation and so forth. Mookie and Jade are just sitting on the curb right outside the Korean market, right in front of it. Uh, just watching the whole spectacle. Mother sister is crying. No, over and over again. And there's no, no. And the mayor goes to her and comforts her. He puts his arm around her. That's, that's all we see of, of them for the moment. Then we see that the restaurant which is mostly, mostly extinguished now. Smiley, we see him walk into the restaurant and he tacks up one of his pictures on the, uh, on the wall of fame, you know, the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X pictures. So bugging out finally got his wish. <laughs> now, yeah. now there are some brothers on the wall and sells pizzeria. <laughs> and then we see daylight. There's a lot of litter in the street. I mean, a lot of litter in the street, more than you'd think pizzeria could hold. <laughs> and we hear, uh, Mr. Senor Love Daddy doing another voiceover. There's another hot day coming. And he says, wake up. 
just as he did at the beginning of the movie, and Mookie's eyes open. Uh, he's in bed, and he's he's next to Tina and Hector. Little their little son is sandwiched between them, and uh, Mookie and Tina start arguing. Uh, another one of these fruitless arguments that happens a lot in this movie. Uh, about movie leaving. He he wants to go get his money from Sal, but um uh they they have they have an argument about it and uh, finally he leaves. Then we see the mayor he wakes up in a nicer bed than he did yesterday morning at the start of the movie. <laughs> it turns out that he's in mother sister's home now, and while he slept, she was up all night. They go to her window and look out, uh, worried about the current state of the neighborhood and, and the future of it. Loki approaches Sal. Sal's sitting in the step of his burnt-out restaurant. Mookie asks for his money that he didn't end up getting last night. <laughs> Sal says, your money couldn't begin to pay for the window you broke, which, uh, which is probably about how, how I would respond under circumstances. Mookie says Sal will get his insurance. But Sal, Sal knows that, but he replies that he built this place with his own hands. You know, he goes into some detail about all the things that he did by himself, you know, to, to, to build this place. So it's not, it's not a matter of insurance for Sal. It's the, the work and the love that he put in. So. Sal counts out some bills and, uh, he crumples each one individually and he throws each one at Mookie like snowballs. And it's $500. It's twice what he owed Mookie, but Mookie only wants the money that was owed to him. Then they say, you keep it. No, you keep it. And they go back and forth a little bit. Just Mm -hmm. a couple crumpled hundred dollar bills laying in the street there. After a moment, they start to calm down a little and they treat each other a little better. They even try to make a little talk about the weather and so forth. And finally, Mookie picks up the extra bills and he heads back to his family. And Mr. Senior Love Daddy does one more voiceover. And uh, his message is that the cash money word for today is chill. He says that when you hear it, you can call in and you'll win cash money, honey. And then he dedicates the next song to Radio Rahim. And that's the end of the uh, people in the movie, but uh, but we still have a text scroll. There's two quotes, one from Martin Luther King, and it's a quote against violence. Then there's a quote from Malcolm X. And this is a quote drawing a distinction between violence and self-defense. And then after those two quotes, we get a final close-up of uh of the picture that smiley carries around it's martin luther king and malcolm x uh smiling and laughing together mm-hmm. and that's the end of the show yep <laughs> okay well now we will return to our discussion with aldo And you have to say, uh, 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 like Danny Aiello, you have to say pizzeria, pizzeria. <laughs> pizzeria. <laughs> I love, he had, he has such care about that place. 
just as the owner would, that he even pronounced it with just a little bit more class than you would see when you walked up. <laughs> uh, I, I love that moment where he, uh, I, I love it when he talks and he sees the place in the future and he says, not just Sal's, but Sal and Sons. And then he turns to Spike's character and he says, Mookie, there will always be a place for you here. And you're like, Oh no, it's not going to end well for Sal. Uh, um, uh, Cause he sees a different dream of what his place has been and can be than his son who has such contempt for it. As they're about to walk in Toturo says he's disgusted by it. He's appalled. He uses every word except hate. And Danny Aiello's character, you know, Sal comes up and says, you know, that, that's pretty close to hate. It's, that's what it sounds like you're saying. Be careful mm -hmm. right, right. with that term. And that's a lesson, a lesson for our nation. You got to be careful with that term and with coaxing and giving any kind of fuel to those people rather than calling out, calling it out and saying, that is hate, that is destructive. That hurts you as much as it hurts anybody you want to try to direct it, which is uh, some of the good stuff that he gives um, Ozzy Davis uh, when Ozzy's playing oh, the, 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 mayor. the mayor. Oh, <laughs> Ozzy and Ruby D, and, and and you know, and they're in a couple of his his, his flicks uh, as theatrical royalty, um, who at that point have been doing it for forty years since they did Raisin in the Sun together on Broadway. Hey. Uh, hmm. And, uh, and he's bringing them into these, into these movies over and over and letting them spout their wisdom. Yeah. It's, and, and again, of course, uh, uh, flirting with each other and, uh, the care that they have for each other, even though there's, you know, mother sister has disdain for the mayor until something happens. And then she has concern. Yeah. I've seen this film many times and it wasn't until my viewing today where I realized, I think Danny Aiello is a combination of his two sons, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. The soft, nice guy who hangs around with Mookie and is not racist. And then you have the belligerent racist asshole who's John Turturro. Mm -hmm. And for most of the film, you know, Aiello is really, as you said, I mean, he's trying to be the kind person. He's trying to do the right thing. And then there's this kind of point where you know, the switch flips, right? I mean, um, it, and, and the bad part comes out. Yes. Yes. I think I was watching and I thought, oh my God, we're, we're barely halfway through and radio Rahim won't turn off his radio. And I was like, oh no, no, no. This is the first ripple in the water. This is the moment where uh, he doesn't turn it off initially, and then he turns off the radio. Uh, and and I think that for uh, all that he's trying to do, Sal, he wants peace in the neighborhood. He, he says, I'm proud of the fact that these people have grown up on my food. I love that mm -hmm. one. They've grown mm -hmm. up on what I've given them. They, you know, I've nurtured them, kind of. Um, yeah. But he reacts in a, in, in particularly when he feels he's being disrespected. And it's John Turturro's character when Bugging Out says, you know, put some 
pictures up in here and he throws the napkin down on the floor and and he's disrespected that Danny Aiello's Sal grabs the baseball bat mm-hmm. and it's Totoro's character Pino who has to has to take the bat away from his yeah, father was an moment, and yeah. said you know so the the roles are reversed and I think it's partly because Pino knows uh Sal ain't picking it up for show. <laughs> yeah. he, he means business, and he's not just going to say a few things. This could get out of hand. And so Pino, Pino pulls it back and helps Sal walk it back until then Radio Rahim comes in, won't turn off the radio. He's going to order his two slices over public enemy blasting. And Sal in heaven, and he's, I think, again, that's about respect. And mm-hmm. then at the end is also about respect. And I, I think that uh, I think that it's important for us to keep in mind, particularly when you're dealing with something as volatile as as uh, uh, male fragility, that that's a point where people decide I'm going to go when they feel like not only are they being disrespected, but they they feel like I'm at a point where I've got nothing else to lose. So again, you know, the, the going to the the uh, the BMW as my daughter calls it, the black man wisdom. The wisdom comes in lots of movies in the mouth of a black man, and it's the mayor <laughs> sitting on the steps, and his BMW <laughs> is do the right thing. As Mookie's going to yeah. go carry out pizza, he just stops him. And he's like, "What? What? What? Do the right thing." <laughs> yeah, love that. And I I also I liked the. Mookie did not repeat it or anything. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, because he laid it in there once. There's the title. We're, we're good. Money shot. Keep moving. Uh, I love that. And we're talking yeah. about the mayor. I feel like, and, and I think this is amazing for a young filmmaker and writer, that so many of the characters in this are what I would consider mythological characters, right? The mayor, mother, sister, yep. um, the three man sort of Greek chorus. They the are the corner. chorus. You're exactly right. They are the chorus. And then Radio Rahim, I mean, I'm not sure where he fits in the mythological, but the way he's treated, he's just like a, he is like a godlike character, right? Yeah. Um, who's totally self-contained and going to do his thing. And also... His love-hate routine, which I'm sure you're probably aware of, you know, comes from Night of the Hunter, right? Um, which is one of my favorite films. And, and Guy, we should absolutely cover this film at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, be, yeah. So it's just, uh, uh, it's really interesting to me. I mean, I, I as a now 50-plus-year-old person, I'm just embarrassed that someone in their 20s could write this sort of thing uh, that I could never accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 the, the, uh, yeah, I, there's, there's, there's just so much in this thing. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, that, that one moment of how he, how he does, he tells the story of love and hate. The thing not to lose there is not about trying to figure out who's on the side of love and who's on the side of hate as far as the characters in the, in the piece. Um, because I think that it's important to remember that in his depiction, they're both in the same person. They're mm. they're both a, it, it's his left and his right fist. What what choices are you going to make with that being inside you? Uh, and then you can go back to do the right thing. 
Yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting speech he gave. It and at the end, uh, there is almost like a little suspenseful moment where you you wonder, like, uh, is he is he laying down some kind of challenge? Uh, uh, and then he says, uh, "You know, I love you, man," or something like that. You know, but for a minute there, there's a little tension because you're not quite sure where he was going with. It. Right, right. A good scene. Right. Well. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a little challenge there. The the or, or, there's also those moments of, you know, the critical moments of decisions uh, of who does what. Sal thinking about the future in the shop happens after they close, mm -hmm. and just before he pays Mookie his money. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, so Mookie's saying, "No, no one else come in. I need my money that I was asking for this afternoon." So I can go and Sal's decision to open the door to what, which, what is a, mm -hmm. actually another chorus, you yeah, know, yeah, you're right. the, yeah. the Martin Lawrence, uh, group, uh, man, they're so funny when, <laughs> when, when Martin Lawrence and them are, are running by and, uh, John Savage, uh, who's, who's got the Celtic shirt on in his man bun carrying his, his bicycle up the stairs, uh, <laughs> When every every time Giancarlo Esposito has a line, you get all of this uh, instigation coming from the you know the, the chorus behind him. He stepped in your shoes. How much did cost those shoes? Cost a hundred dollars, American dollars. Um, you know, it's just hysterical. He broke your shoes. Um, uh, it's just hysterical. And yet, in that moment, while they are trying to ratchet up the rage Giancarlo Esposito is is consistently saying you're lucky I'm a peaceful black man you're lucky I'm an educated black man you're lucky that I'm a forgiven black man all those sorts mm -hmm. of things while these while all this other banter is just in his ear it's like Mephistopheles just saying, you know um that's <laughs> uh, just trying to get him to go once he starts carrying, you know, the white guy starts carrying the bike up the brownstone steps. Nobody goes up the steps. They all, <laughs> they're all huddled right there, and they nobody goes up the steps. And the tension is still high until he says, I was born in Brooklyn. And they go, ah. <laughs> and he ends think, it with humor. He ends the moment with humor. It's, uh, it's I got to say about fun. Giancarlo Esposito, um, literally two days ago, Completely coincidentally, I was having a conversation with someone at the bar and they were talking about how great he is in, I think the boys, which I haven't seen yet, but this is, I mean, I watched the background materials for this and he, at, at the time with him being interviewed, you know, when he was young and he was just so incredibly intelligent. I don't know what his career has been since then, but in the last few years, he was in the Mandalorian in a great role. And now in the boys, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard great things about, and apparently he has a really great role in it. So it's just interesting that he, and also Rosie Perez is now in Star Wars. You know, she was yeah. in Mandalorian and she's now a Star Wars mm -hmm. character. So it's really interesting to see these characters decades later, mm -hmm. these yeah. actors are really being successful. I know him best from, uh, from Breaking Bad and yep. from Far Cry 6. He was the dictator <laughs> in that. Guys, the video game player. Uh, not that I'm not, but um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I watched Breaking Bad, but I didn't get that far into it. So 
Giancarlo Esposito never stops working. He is always, always, always working. Breaking Bad, he was a, a key for me. His absolutely tight character is really, really amazing. And then he's also, in, you know, that, that is in uh, Better Call Saul is in there too. Um, One of the things I think is interesting about him is that he's he has an Italian background, so it's kind of different, you know, from the typical, uh, typical is the wrong word, but the standard sort of African-American experience in the U.S. And I, I kind of wonder what difference that makes for him. No, I, I don't think it's, it's made as much in casting. Because he, he's, he, it's usually, I think that most uh, casting directors are still going to see him as a black man, right? Mm-hmm. right. And so he'll go that way. But, uh, um, uh, yeah. But he has he's he's just done a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Usual Suspects, Smoke, um, New York Undercover, Chicago Hope. Uh, living single, uh, you know, just over and over. There's yeah. tons and tons of things that he's done. So one thing I wanted to ask you about all those, you know, Rose, this is her first movie. In fact, uh, Spike had like seen her at a club dancing, right? So I mean, he literally just made her into an actor who's still going as an actor. Yeah. And one of the things she's talked about in recent years that I was curious about your thoughts on is that, you know, it's a nude scene in this, which, you know, I think it's pretty clever and erotic where Spike is taking ice cubes right, and kind of drawing it over her body. And she said that she was really upset um, about some of this. And the point where he does it over her breast, she says the reason that you don't see her face is because she was crying. And and I just, I just wanted to get your general reaction. I know that just in the last few years, the way that intimate scenes are handled has changed in theater and such. And you know, so how does that work, or what are your thoughts about about that sort of thing? Well, uh, you know, an, an intimacy an intimacy coach, an intimacy uh, director on that set would have helped. Um, uh, and yeah, and so you know, there are a lot of people who who don't understand how unbelievably vulnerable you are in that moment, where there's. Spike Lee, your fellow actor, director, executive producer, says, do this thing. And then mm-hmm. there's a camera operator and there's a lighting operator and there's an assistant camera operator and the assistant director. And you've got a room full of probably 18 people, you know, as many as 12 in there making it a close. It's just, they're all of these people and you've got a, you've got a strip. And, and then mm-hmm. act like it's there's only one other person in the world in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really hard, and it's really, really, really hard to say no. Mm-hmm. No, we we don't do. Do we need? Does this movie hang on the fact that we saw her nipple? No, you could you could play with that ice cube on her neck. We can still get the, the, the same picture, the mm-hmm. same image. We could watch her face while the camera doesn't take the rest of her body in. But you know, there, there's, there's that. And there's that, that, uh, there's that privilege that, uh, um, people, uh, in power sometimes 
don't even know that they're wielding over people who have no agency or have little agency in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So uh, it's, it's, it's really, really tough. Uh, and it's really, really heartbreaking, you know, to know that, that somebody was, felt demeaned and felt awful about that moment while we're over here watching it and, and, uh, and we feel we're eating popcorn, you know, we're not invested mm-hmm. in the same way. Uh, nah. it, it's, it makes it a little bit, uh, um, uh, painful. So a couple other questions about actress for you. So, you know, Samuel Jackson has this very, well, he has a critical role in the movie, but he's not interacting with anyone else. And he's actually said he spent most of the time sleeping because, <laughs> you know, he was off in this, his own place doing the radio thing. But it, as an actor, I mean, it, how do you deal with that where you have to give this performance, but it's not like you're acting against anyone. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it's tough to be, to be separated, uh, segregated from the rest of the, of the, the, uh, uh, actors, the other, the, the other people. But, um, uh, but fortunately his DJ booth faces the street. So he gets to, he's got, you know, close to a front row seat for a lot of stuff that's happening when they, then when they want him in the booth and he's not doing other stuff, those, those are the moments where he can sleep or you can see what he, you know, in those, uh, those, some of those moments, you can see him in the background uh, making faces at the actors and is like, uh, come on over here and come talk to me. Uh, um, I'm bored. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's that. So the other one I was curious about John Turturro, and I know, I think he really wanted this role and I think he added some of his own stuff to it. As an actor, how do you, when you know that you're portraying the bad guy, I mean, how do you deal with that? You know, and, and how do you lean into that and, and make it real and not sort of, you know, you, uh, you never, ever, ever think that your character is the bad guy. Your, your character has things that they want and they want them for legitimate reasons like everybody else wants. Uh, you know, um, the, uh, uh, I mean, I can, I can think of some bad, some bad guys in history. I don't have to go too far back. Uh, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, if I'm thinking about Trump, I don't have to think he thinks he's the, the villain. Uh, um, mm. he, he, he thinks he's the most persecuted human that ever lived. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, and how we perceive that person uh, is is going to be something different, particularly if we do it right. Uh, um, but but if if you do it right, you can also, uh, particularly with good writing, and I think that you have those moments in this film. Uh, you have contempt for that character. You have rage for that character, and you might even at some points. You might have to admit it only to a few close friends, have some empathy for that character. There may be mm-hmm. some moments where you connect with that character. I think that's the most important thing, particularly when you when you have a film that is about so much rage. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is that ever me? Well, yeah, there's that. Uh, is this, this, does this character ever have a single redemptible moment 
Yeah, he takes the baseball bat from his dad when his dad looks like mm-hmm. he's about to crack somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those sorts of things. And and so you you lean in there and make sure that that is in that same character within that same uh, scope of character consistency uh, that, uh, um, you know, I, if, 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 if his dad was to hit one of these people who he says he hates, then he might get stuck having to run the pizzeria and he don't want to do that. So he's going <laughs> to take the baseball bat from dad and, and save him in this moment, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, uh, so that, so that it's a believable character. And if it is, it'll even be more impactful, but you don't have mm-hmm. to play the villain. You, you, you're still going for, you know, uh, food, family, money, sex, uh, 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 God, all those uh, things that we all have in common. Even even an atheist has a relationship with God. So, mm-hmm. well, another question out there is, you know, there's a scene where he and his brother, he takes his brother into like a closet or whatever it is. Right. And then they start kind of fighting and he puts his arm around his neck and everything. And I, my understanding is that was all sort of ad-libbed. I mean, how, as an actor, when you have a script, how do you come up with that stuff or, you know, what, what's the process of saying, okay, well, we're now going to have a fight, even though that fight wasn't necessarily in the script. Yeah. You, you have to, um, again, nowadays we'd use an intimacy coordinator or fight choreographer and we'd say, um, we're going to let y'all improv here, but are there, are there points that are off limits? Are there points, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I, I, I get into to with an intimacy coordinator and I say, um, you can touch here. This is all a green light. This area, uh, you know, as I gesture toward my chest or my belly, I go to my groin. I said, that's a red light area. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, my ears we have is a yellow light. We have to talk about it. Maybe may, depends on what you're mm-hmm. going to do, those sorts of things. Um, and uh, so it also keeps the flick from getting out of hand. Um, uh, uh, creating resentment that, you know, between two characters and then, you know, oh, we're going to need a love scene between these two guys that were just fighting a moment ago and now they can't stand each other and, and, and you, and it still comes out on camera that they can't stand each other. Then you're in trouble with your, with your story that you want to tell. Or mm-hmm. when one of them got a little aggressive and broke the other one's nose, now you got continuity issues. So, uh, um, you, 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 you want, uh, uh, a contained, controlled environment. You want to set some parameters before you just roll tape. Yeah. Hey. Makes sense. It's it's uh, also interesting to think that, you know, um, this comes out in, in uh, 89 and uh, um, before in 88 was school days. And school days ends with a line that is the first line from do the right thing. And so, so uh, school days ends with Lawrence Fishburne uh, screaming, wake up and do the right thing starts with Samuel L. Jackson saying, wake up. And, uh, well, and I, th- and I think that that's, I think that that's not a mistake. I, I think that that's uh, intentional, uh, um, one of the things that we often do with our our rage is is to try to not just shake things up, 
but but have people wake up to 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 a, a truth that we see. Mm-hmm. Well, the question we usually ask at the end of whatever we're doing is, was this thing worth watching? And this is one of those where, you know, I think it's just obvious that, yes, if you haven't ever seen it, you should. But but let me ask, you know, both of you, I mean, why do you think it's worth watching? So let me start with Guy and we'll... Yeah, well, you know, I, I saw this um, probably... Not long after it came out, probably just when it was in theatrical release, although I saw it in a, an auditorium at school, but, uh, but what I remembered of it, I hadn't seen it since then until last night. And, you know, I, I remembered it as, uh, I remembered it as being an interesting movie that, you know, kept my attention, but I also remembered it as, uh, pretty much everybody in it's an asshole. And uh, you know, watching it again, there's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more multifaceted than that. You know, that you, uh, you see just about everybody has both, uh, a side that's likable and human and a side that's, uh, you know, maybe not so admirable, you know, and there's some exceptions like the mayor. I can't think of anything he does. That's not likable off the top of my head, you know, but, uh, but I mean, in, in general, every character <laughs> other than, you know, being an alcoholic, there's that little thing. Well, but there's also the, uh, the moment where he starts slinging, uh, racial epithets at the, uh, Korean grocer and saying, you yeah. know, Chinese yeah. or whatever, uh, that, that it's there, it's there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had forgotten about that, but yeah. So, uh, I mean, everybody in the movie, um, you know, they, they have their moments, uh, on both sides of the coin and, uh, uh, seeing all that extra context, I actually liked it a lot more on the second viewing than I remembered it liking and um, remembered liking it on the first viewing. That's good. Uh, really a good movie. I thought. Well, and related to what you're saying, I think the thing for me that makes this great and amazing for a 20-something to have written and directed is that he, but exactly that, that everybody has their good and bad sides and we, that we see the full spectrum. If he had just come at this from one point of view, then it would just be a screed. Mm. Yep. You know, yep. It wouldn't be a human story. And I think that a lot, and I've seen other films that I enjoyed, but yeah, they were screens, right? And, and so I think that's what makes this, uh, you know, a forever film, a film that a hundred years from now will be relevant, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. but Aldo, so what's your thoughts? What, what ultimately, you know, makes this worth watching? What you just said that, uh, that it is a quality story that captures you know, the, it talks about what it is to be human in ways that are, are still relevant, you know, some 30, 40 years later. Uh, and, and I think they will be 50 to 100 years later. Uh, I, I sat down to refresh myself with this by, you know, just zipping through, looking at a couple of moments and making sure I had something to talk about. I, I just got lost. I got mm-hmm. lost. I stopped. I rewound and was, oh my, yeah, oh my, I can't believe that and this and and uh, all of those those things that uh, were relevant, uh, police brutality, uh, 
Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that moment of who owns this neighborhood, that resentment, um, by three, you know, by, by the, the chorus that's sitting on the corner and that they hang out all day saying, look at these people. They've only been here a year and look how much they've achieved. And Totoro says to them, you know, why don't you get work? And they're looking mm-hmm. at, you know, what, what jobs they can get, what, what jobs they, uh, they get knocked out of. Uh, who wants to look down on them while they're working for them and all those, all those complicated issues that happen in the United States because of race that we don't deal with. And uh, so there's that wake-up call, too. I love this film. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ron. And, and yes, uh, and Guy, really nice talking to you. Uh, thanks for having me on, y'all. Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming. All right. Take care. Wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. Here on We Love Radio 108 FM. The last on your dial, but first in your hearts. And that's the truth. Here I am. Am I here? You know it, it you know. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the Taroot Root. From the heart of Bed-Stuy, you're listening to We Love Radio. Doing the yin and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity flop. Oh! I have today's forecast for you. Hot! The color for today is black. That's right, black, so you can absorb some of these rays and save that heat for winter. So you want to get on out there, wear that black, and be involved. Also, today's temperature is going to rise up over 100 degrees, so that's a Jerry Curl alert. That's right, Jerry Curl alert. If you have a Jerry Curl, stay in the house, or you'll end up with a permanent plastic helmet on your head forever. Hello to Mr. and Mrs.